Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question. We've got a sweet guest with us on tonight. Tell us about him. Yeah, we got John Casillo on with us of Noon's Magician, uh, Syracuse site on the SB Nation Network. We're previewing the Syracuse Orange tonight, continuing our our long haul towards the college football season john of course is a friend of mark rogers tv who joey you and i have done extensive work with in the past uh john what's going on man how's it going guys doing well out here good it's good to have you on john we figured we'd we'd go to the source for syracuse related information you guys do a great job over at uh troy news is an absolute magician or just newsmagician.com um it's kind of a mouthful but uh, we're, we're looking forward to talking a little Syracuse tonight. So they're they're a very interesting team coming off of a. If you just look at the record, it was a pretty underwhelming uh, 2016 campaign, ending four and eight. But if you really like watch the team, it was very interesting. It was a, as exciting of a team as Syracuse has been in uh, in many years. In year one of the Dino Babers era, uh, running an offense similar to what you saw Art Bryles run at Baylor for several years. So, John, my, my first question to you tonight is, what was the reaction of the fan base to year one of Dino Babers? Obviously, the record didn't end up where the fans probably would have liked it to be, but it seemed like it was a bit of a, a change from what we're used to from, from Syracuse football. Well, you know, like Dino Babers, he said at the beginning of the season, he asked fans for uh, belief without evidence, and that was kind of a mantra that, that he pushed and that we uh, kind of bought into. Obviously, we had the Virginia Tech upset um, that you know helps sell the concept in further. I, I think, despite having the same amount of wins uh, as the previous season, the fact that we were able to see uh, progress, we were able to see an offense that was moving the football. Obviously, not for 100% of the time, but an offense that looked better, more confident. There was a plan. Even in the loss, you saw, unlike the entire time under Scott Schaefer, that there was a clear and present offensive uh, game plan and strategy in place. Um, so, so all those things are a positive. Um, you know, I, I think that some detractors were a little concerned about the, the defensive lapses, but those are things that happen and, and some growing pains that come with a, a change in system. So uh, I, I think, you know, last year was seen as a, as a you know, year zero to, uh, to borrow from Bill Connolly uh, situation. And then this can really be, uh, you know, the first season where, where everything starts coming together um, as a as a cogent uh, kind of scheme on both sides of the ball. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the running game. So running game obviously struggled. Dino, Dino Babers, obviously, huge emphasis on the up-tempo system, and that's a mix of run and pass, ideally. Eric Dungey was fantastic when he was healthy. Running game is a one area where the Orange really struggled. Um, I like to 
think of it as a parallel with Justin Fuente and the Virginia Tech offense, which was a lot of the same. It was, okay, passing offense looks great, running game's really struggling. So I saw the same thing on my end as a fan, uh, John, with the Hokies. So I'm uh, kind of interested to see or kind of interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, what you think the running game will be after the struggles last year running the football and what are the expectations this year? I mean, can't get much worse. Hopefully we'll be a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, last year was miserable, and it's miserable for any team, but especially one that, that's prided itself on a, you know, a running back tradition, the number 44, the whole deal. Uh, for us to average you know, well under four yards a carry, um, not really where we're looking to be. I think you know, it, it's a little bit of a misnomer that, that you know, Dino Babers and, and everybody from the Art Bryles tree is very uh, you know, pass-happy when you know, establishing the run game and establishing the run game inside is really what makes this offense go. Um, you, you saw it a lot with Baylor, and Baylor at its height um, under Art Bryles. Um, it, it was a lot of pounding the ball at the middle. You're sucking in the defense. Um, you're trying to get not just you know the four down linemen, but additional bodies coming in to stop the interior run. And once you've done that um, effectively, you're able to utilize the sidelines. And that's something that you know we weren't able to do a ton of last year because we had two running backs who were you know around five ten and 186 pounds uh, carrying the ball um, and a young offensive line that was really injured uh, for most of last season. So I, I think given all that, um, we have an offensive line that's now back with experience. All those kids that got time last year and, and, and you know, took a bit of a beating should be better. Um, unfortunately, we did lose our starting left guard already uh, for the season, Aaron Roberts, uh, which is not great, but we still have experience that we can plug in there and a lot of kids who did get snaps last year. So I think the offensive line should be better. Um, as far as the running backs themselves, uh, nothing really changes. I think Dante Strickland and Mo Neal are still going to get the majority of the carries. Uh, where things could be a little bit different is the fact that Strickland added some weight in the offseason. He's never going to be a, a between-the-tackles type guy. But uh, we added another back, Marquenzi Pierre um, from Florida, who... He is only about 10 to 15 pounds heavier, but he spent his high school career um, kind of pounding things up the middle. So he is the type of back we'd probably be looking for and that Babers would really like to lead with. Um, we also have a, a guy, Chris Elmore, who originally we recruited him as a defensive tackle, um, and he's now being plugged in as a bit of a fullback. Uh, so potentially, at least in short guard situations, uh, we could have some more options uh, to really wear down defensive fronts that we just didn't last year. On the other side of the offense, John, talking about the passing game for a second, one of the guys that Mike and I kind of low-key fell in love with last season was Eric Dungy. thought he did a really nice job in year one. Uh, almost 65% completion, only seven interceptions in eight different games. So I uh, thought he was really nice. The, the thing is that he had a, a huge weapon on the outside, a, transfer, a graduate transfer, Amba Etatawo, who ended up as the All-ACC uh, first-team wide receiver and one of the nation's leaders in a lot of different stat categories, Edatawa has since uh, moved on to the NFL. He's graduated and lost his eligibility. So uh, coming back this year, Eric Dungy needs to maybe find another key weapon on the outside. Do you see the departure of Edatawa really having any sort of impact on how effective Dungy will be? I don't, if only because there's so much experience everywhere else. Um, we do have a lot of you know, guys that you can still throw to. Atatawa leaves. Uh, Brisley Esteem, who played on the inside, he leaves. But at the same time, Steve Ishmael is, I would contend, you know, one of the best route runners and, and, and blockers uh, at the wide receiver position in the conference. And I think he's someone who, 
he spent a lot of time running intermediate routes last year and kind of got got lost in what was still a learning offense last year. So having Ishmael as your primary option on the outside, um, and then kind of a mix of Devin Butler, uh, Jamal Custis, other guys who've seen the field um, on the other side, I think that's going to make up for most of, of the loss from Atawo. Obviously, again, offensive line, if they can protect Dungy better, uh, you'll see better passing numbers in general. Um, Irvin Phillips is back, and, and Irv, you know, caught the second most passes in school history last year with 90. Um, he's a guy who, yes, it's a short passing game, but, you know, someone who is really quick, um, even in a small space. So somebody who's going to be able to help pick up the slack. And we have a lot of, I mean, we had another four kids, um, for this past year's recruiting class at the wide receiver position. We still had guys in the fold. Also added a Jugo transfer in Ravian Pierce, another guy who should help be kind of a safety valve uh, for Dungy if he gets into trouble. Um, and Pierce is a big kid. I think he's around 6'4", 230 um, or so. So a, a big target that we haven't had in a while and that Dungy hasn't really had since he, he got to Syracuse. Uh, so as much as, you know, we might not have that, that one-on-one, uh, you know, kind of jump ball threat that we did with Atatao, I think that overall the passing game might actually find itself uh, to be a bit more effective uh, as a group. So how do you handicap the offense, Sean, with Atatao gone, Esteem gone, um, running game still kind of in flux? Uh, you know, same as last year, a step back, a step forward. Uh, how do you characterize it as a whole? Uh, I mean, Dino Babers has said that, that the offense really clicks. Uh, this mantra he's thrown out there of year two, uh, game four is kind of when things start to come together um, for this group. So, you know, despite the fact that it, it's it's a simple offense to understand, um, at the same time, like getting that tempo down is, is no easy feat, especially for guys who were playing in several different offensive schemes in the last few years. Um, so for me, like, I, I think that there's going to be progress by default on how much progress, of course, is going to be dictated by, you know, whether the offensive line can, can free up some space in the middle for the running game to excel and if they can keep uh, Eric Dungy upright. Obviously, uh, anyone who's followed Dungy's career for his first two seasons knows that uh, injuries have been a problem. He does like to take off, um, and he does take hits in the open field that a lot of uh, quarterbacks, you know, even bigger than him, try to avoid. Uh, so while, while you can't necessarily, it seems, get him to, to stop taking off as, as much and, and, and taking those unnecessary hits, um, he's put on some weight in the offseason. Uh, he obviously has great arm strength and accuracy. Uh, so I, I think that by default, this group is probably going to get somewhere. I put them around 29 points per game. Just if, if all things stay the same for the most part. And then let's see what happens from there. Um, like I said, you, you kind of never know if this offense flips the switch like Babers is kind of projecting. Uh, you know, we could be in for a treat this season. Yeah, so offensively, about 29 points per game. Defensively, um, you return almost the same unit as 2016. So is that a good thing? Um, <laughs> I was at the Notre Dame game, John, uh, in the Meadowlands. Obviously, a lot of points scored in the first few minutes of that game. Uh, and then, of course, seeing the Pittsburgh game and that score ending up you know, the way that it ended with, you know, 78-61 or whatever. It seemed more like an ACC basketball game with Pittsburgh and Syracuse's defense on the field there. Um, do you expect to step forward here with Syracuse returning their whole defense? Um, another year of experience can't hurt, um, but it wasn't a great unit last year. Uh, what's the general expectation of that unit? 
I mean, I think there has to be improvement just by default. You look at uh, what happened last year. We were given up uh, 8.9 yards per attempt, which is just you know deplorable. That's like Texas Tech levels of bad uh, pass defense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, look up and down that depth chart. Most of those kids are sophomores. Um, so this year, you know, you end up with a lot of juniors and kids who are going to be around next year too. So uh, between that, I think you see a lot of veterans on this team. We added a couple um, grad transfers in Devin Butler from Notre Dame, added Jordan Martin from Toledo. Um, right now, we could probably go six deep at corner and safety positions. Whether or not those, any of those six are going to be able to stop anybody, um, it's probably up for debate. Um, another just kind of, you know, undersold part of the transition to Babers wasn't just the, the offensive attack, but the defense. You know, we went from a very, very blitz-heavy 4-3 uh, that kind of predicated itself on uh, – you know, creating havoc in the backfield, blitzing safeties to, um, you know, a Tampa 2 scheme now under Babers where, you know, the, these kids that were playing at the safety positions were, were not really being asked to cover a ton, um, at least not cover in the same way. These linebackers weren't being asked to play in coverage at all. They were being asked to blitz. So, and when you look at the line, like these were guys who previously were, were being just told to let loose and now they're being told to, you know, stay at home you know, play against the run. So th this is a huge transition for them. And it's, from everything I've heard from the defense, I mean, they're not going to say they're struggling with the transition, but it does seem like the defensive players are much more confident this year than they were last year um, in, in their game plan and, and what they're doing and how they're helping one another on the field. I, I look at it, John, and the defensive coordinator at Syracuse is Brian Ward. He had previously coached one season at the FBS level before taking over at Syracuse, and he was the, the final defensive coordinator with Dino Babers at Bowling Green and brought him over uh, in, into Syracuse when he moved over. Previous to that, he had had a whole lot of lower-level experience. Do you think that he has the qualifications to get the job done? Like, Is it, is it ever going to be a scheme and coaching issue with him, or is there some question still in, in Syracuse fans' minds on his qualifications to be uh, serving this role on a Power 5 job? I think a lot of fans were asking questions last year, to be honest. I think it's too early to tell. Um, I think the Tampa 2's a weird scheme, only in the sense that, like, it's not something new. It's something a lot of folks have abandoned um, in many ways. I want to I, I want to say... TBD on that still, unfortunately. Um, if this defense doesn't really progress this year, then I think there's a conversation to be had. But right now, 12 games into his tenure, given how many injuries uh, this team dealt with last year, I mean, you lost your starting corner, your starting safety, um, you lost much of the, the, the front line, and you only really had about uh, you know eight linemen you could tap into all season. Like there, there, there was a lot of there were a lot of growing pains last year, and there could be a little bit more this year, but. Uh, I'm willing to give him a little bit more space, and if for some reason you know this defense performs the same or, or God forbid, worse, uh, then maybe we need to have a conversation, um, and it becomes Baber's first real test from a personnel standpoint um, as, as head coach at Syracuse. So suffice it to say, under Dino Baber, Syracuse is never going to be a defensive first team, and I think that's okay. I mean, honestly, again, as good as the defense looked, or as good as the offense, excuse me, looked in year one. Um, you figure that that's only going to continue. And even in down years, I mean, the offense should still be able to carry the team to a certain degree. That said, with the offense already pretty good and likely to improve in year two, here we figure, 
realistically, how much does this team need to get from its defense to really make it into a winning team and a winning program? I don't really think, you know, the the, the progression has to be so much that, that it's night and day. I think that, you know, if you want to look at it from an S&P Plus standpoint, I mean, last year we were in the bottom, you know, 15 to 20. I think if, if Syracuse can finish even 90th in, in S&P on defense and defensive efficiency, like, that to me is probably a winning record just based on the projected, um, you know, changes and success for the offense. I think, you know, you said too, like the defense is never going to be great under Babers, and a lot of that is just a product of the system because the offense is scoring quickly. There's going to be more opportunities for opponents to score. Therefore, like, you're always going to let up more points. It's just a question of whether or not, you know, you can you can find a way to make a stop at least half the time. And I think last year that was not really the case. Um, you saw it in the spots, um, the middle of the season, the Virginia Tech game, the UConn game, the BC game. Uh, you know, that looked like a defense coming into its own. Uh, I, I just, I'm not going to put all my, my hopes on the defense turning into what it was under Schaefer at the beginning when they were a top 30 or so group nationally. Um, but if fans can, can level set and say, if they can hold opponents to 35 a game, I really like our chances in a lot of contests this year. So, John, taking a look at the schedule, um, good for Syracuse for scheduling. I mean, obviously, when you play in the Atlantic, uh, you do draw Louisville, Clemson, and Florida State. Good for Syracuse for also scheduling a road game against LSU in September. Um, that's not going to be an easy game. But when looking at the schedule, obviously, the one road game at LSU is intriguing. You follow that up with a game the following week at NC State. You do get Clemson at home, but you face, um, you know, you face Miami on the road, Florida State on the road, which isn't a great draw out of the Coastal Division for obvious reasons. Um, you get Louisville on the road. So, what are the general implications of this schedule? I mean, this is not the greatest slate in the world, but I think it is a mix of you know easier games, and then you have your fair stretch of rough games as well. Yeah, I mean, the schedule is kind of tough, and, and most of that's unavoidable. The LSU game was completely avoidable. And as much as I'm going to enjoy going down there myself uh, to catch the team Baton Rouge, I mean, anyone who's read the site knows that I've been, I've been a longtime uh, proponent of easier schedules um, in this conference. And, and I really harped against the old administration under Daryl Gross for, you know, scheduling games like the LSU home-and-home home, uh, and upcoming Wisconsin home-and-home. Home. We were scheduling Notre Dame before uh, – you know, they were they were mandated by the conference. Um, we scheduled Washington home and home, USC. Like, these were games that never should have happened um, for, for a rebuilding program. And now, you know, this is why we're, we're in year effectively, you know, 12 or so in, in, in the rebuild instead of being uh, completely done with it and out of the woods. Uh, I, I think the LSU game's a loss, and you have to be realistic. That game's a loss. Florida State, Clemson, Louisville losses. Um, I think Miami is too. So then with those five losses probably on the table, um, and then you'd have to look on the other side. Um, Middle Tennessee is not an easy game, but it should be a win. Central Michigan's rebuildings, so that's probably a win. Um, Central Connecticut State, if it's not a win, we're in trouble. Um, and then BC and Wake are very manageable games. If you can go five and five with, with, with those wins and those losses, the season's going to come down to then what happens versus NC State versus Pitt. Um, a lot of people are pretty high on state this year. Um, I'm high on their defense. I'm not as high on their offense. Uh, and I think that their schedule really harms them. 
So we'll, we'll see what happens there. State really hasn't looked great. You know, I wouldn't expect any non-state or Syracuse fan to have watched the Orange and uh, and Wolfpack face one another in the past few years. But uh, State doesn't look great against us when we've been pretty injury riddled in those games. Uh, so, so I'm tempted to to look at that game a little more closely than, than most might based on the numbers. Um, and then Pitt, Pitt's another team that I think a lot of people are kind of buying into by default. But, you know, you look around there and, and they do lose a lot of offensive weapons. They lose their offensive coordinator in Matt Canada. Um, defense was even worse than ours last year, which seems like an impossible task, but something they were ma- they managed to pull off. Um, and and they, they have to replace a lot of those pieces too. So it's really, it's probably going to come down to the Pitt game somehow uh, I, I think six and six is probably your best bet though at the same time like Faber's teams seem like they're there's an upset somewhere in there so we'll see if it's a major upset um, you know in one of those you know quote unquote sure loss games that I spelled out or whether it's a, uh, a minor upset against a team like Pitt or a team like NC State six and six sort of does feel like the ceiling here um, I I'm with Mike. I commend Syracuse for taking on a tough Power 5 out-of-conference opponent like LSU, but doing that on the road in the same year that you're going on the road to Miami, that is a that is about as tough a schedule as Syracuse is ever going to see under Dino Babers. And so as much as I, I want to pick them to win more games, I, I, I like them to win the first three. I like the fact a lot that they get both Wake Forest and Boston College at home, and I'm not entirely sure that they're going to have a hard time outscoring either of those teams. And so I'm with you, John. I think it comes down to the Pitt game. Uh, That's also at home. I I think that the fact that that home schedule sets up where it does is is very, very beneficial for Syracuse this year. I think the ceiling is probably 6-6. and I'm going to say – I'm going to pick this team to go 5-7, and though. I'm going to say that they lose at least one of those games – uh, could be another four and eight season, and that's not a slight on the program. That's not to say that they won't be better than last year, but just this is a really tough schedule, and things will start to level out a little bit next year. Yeah, gotta agree there. I'm a, I, I'm again, I'm a big proponent of an easier schedule, and I think that you know it's not just the fact that you're picking up losses; it's that you're picking up tough games against teams that are bigger than you, faster than you, are going to hit harder than you can, and you know. When you look at LSU, you look at that one stretch we had in there against State, Pitt, um, at Miami, at Florida State, like against Clemson on a Friday night, like all those games in a row, like that's going to take its toll, win or lose. So even if you're able to pull off an upset in there, you could potentially take on more injuries than you can really handle. And by the way, as with all of my five and seven projections, I'm taking them to go to a bowl on APR. So five and seven APR bill. Yeah, well, Joe, Joe, Joey's a lot more generous than I am. Um, well, in in only one regard that you know he's going to send them to the bowl game off APR. Um, I, I have them at five and seven as well. Uh, I don't want to rehash all of what Joey just said, but I agree with ninety nine point nine percent of everything he just said. I think it comes down to the pick game. Uh, I don't love that Syracuse has to go on the road to NC State the week following LSU. I think they'll be pretty beaten up after that game um, in Death Valley. And then you got to go face an NC State team that I think will be pretty solid defensively. And, you know, there's no secret Syracuse can score some points. But, you know, I think NC State can score enough points there at home to get the job done. So it really comes down to the pit game because, you know, I'm I'm in complete agreement, you know, Having Clemson, Miami, and Florida State in 
basically three and a half weeks uh, makes it very difficult. Um, towards the end of the year, I you know going on the road at Louisville doesn't help either. You guys do get BC and Wake Forest at home, which is solid. I mean, I, I like Syracuse in both of those games. I like him the first three games of the year. But I think everything else on the schedule, as you currently look at, is either a loss or a toss-up, with the two toss-up games really just being NC State and Pittsburgh. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go 5-7 and seven with Syracuse. Uh, if they do beat Pittsburgh and they win the games they're supposed to win, they can definitely go to a bowl game. But I think Dino Babers has this thing moving in the right direction. But I think they're a year or two away from you know, really being an active player in the Atlantic Division and a team to be feared on both sides of the football. I can't doubt you there. So what are you, what are you thinking, John? What, what's your record prediction? I don't know if we got one there. I'm going to go 6-6, six and six, and I think they beat Pitt just because, you know, like I said, I I just don't buy Pitt the way a lot of other people do. Um, that said, 5-7 and seven wouldn't shock me, and I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed with it. Um, I would just really like to get another upset in there. Virginia Tech win... Uh, even in a four and eight season, did so much for the program, uh, and, and really, really encouraged folks for what was to come. And it's obviously, you know, resulted in ESPN marketing blitz and also this stuff. Like that's great. Don't remind me. Um, I, <laughs> I would just love to see another win like that. Uh, and again, even if it's against Pitt, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I think five and seven is the most realistic record of all, but six and six shouldn't surprise uh, onlookers. For what it's worth, I, I agree with you on Pittsburgh. I'm not a super big believer in them this year. I think the Matt Canada departure is going to be a huge deal, as I've mentioned on like six different team podcasts by now. But uh, the thing that Mike pointed out that I just noticed is that that is a home game uh, on on the back end of uh, back-to-back road trips to LSU and NC State. I, I don't know if that works out nicely and that you know they'll be excited to be back at home and in front of their own crowd or if they'll just be very beat up from what could be a couple of very physical matchups in those two games leading up to the Pittsburgh game but I I think we're all in in agreement that that's probably the swing game of if this is a six-win team it it probably is going to depend on them beating the Panthers there in early October (laughs) John, this has been great. Really appreciate you coming on with us tonight and sharing all of your insights. Uh, can you tell the people where, to, where they can find your stuff? Sure. Um, you can find me every day at noonmagician.com. I tweet a lot from at noonmagician. I'm also on my own Twitter feed, at John Casillo. Uh, no space in there. So, yeah, you can find me at those places, the comeback. I write about real estate, but that doesn't really matter for this. <laughs> um, and pre- appreciate the, uh, the time, guys. <laughs> Hey, our listeners are buying property and stuff. I just bought a house. Like, that's that's important stuff. Just L.A. real estate, though. <laughs> All right, if you guys are looking for any L.A. real estate, check out uh, John Casillo. John, this is this has been awesome. Thank you again so much for coming on. Um, I, I tell people this about a lot of SB Nation sites, but this is definitely the case, is that if you guys are looking for really solid Syracuse coverage, not only football, but also basketball and various other sports that they compete in, Y'all go check out newsmagician.com as they got it on lock. Um, it, it is some awesome coverage over there, so keep it up. And, and again, appreciate you coming on. You're, you're welcome anytime, so please come back soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, John. All right, Mike, we got to get out of here. we got to go record some more uh, team previews. But until the next time we come on, uh, the people can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, 
you know, if you need like a recipe for dinner or something, hit us up on email, whatever. Longest email address, no demand, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Good job, buddy. Nailed it again. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Muscle memory. We're going to, we're getting it down. Year two. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes. They can find us on Google Play, on SoundCloud. And recently we found out they can find us on the Over, Overcast app on uh, iPhone or Android devices. And, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? They can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate the podcast, review the podcast, find all of our podcast content there, please. We're picking up some steam. We're getting a whole bunch of stuff out there. So uh, come find us. Come interact with us on social media and send us emails and do all that good stuff. But, uh, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and do another one here soon? Absolutely. Bye. All right. Sounds good. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. John Casillo, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, go ACC.